Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to each and every one of us. Lord, I thank you that no one's here by chance. We're all here by divine appointment. So may we be, make this the most attentive hour of our week. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So heavy chapter this morning, if you've been reading ahead. And there's some verses in here that are kind of controversial. And I love when that happens because I pray you will leave here and the controversy will all be gone. Can I get an amen to that? Word of God is true. So Hebrews, as we know, was written to the Jews by a Jew to tell them to quit being Jews. Amen? Because they were being tempted to go back into the old covenant, to go back to the synagogue when they had had a relationship with the Lord. They were walking with the Lord for a period of time and they were facing outward persecution from the world and inward pressure from their families. See, the first century church was largely Jewish believers who recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, but the temple was still there and they were still making sacrifices. Now, of course, the Christians were not because all those sacrifices pointed to Jesus. As we have seen in previous chapter, the blood of bulls and goats cannot wash away our sins. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus. So there's this temptation to go back, this temptation to go back. And again, it was hard because they would hear the shofar blown because they had grown up in the temple because their family was going there and they would be mocked with, we have a high priest, where's your high priest? You know, we have a temple, where do you guys meet? So there's this constant struggle. And the book of Hebrews is all to reinforce the fact that Jesus is better. Amen? That he's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than the high priest. And he's better than the old covenant. Amen? Now, the old covenant was God's plan for thousands of years, pointing to the Messiah who is coming. But there came a day where it says in Hebrews that it became obsolete because it was fulfilled in Christ. So the old covenant wasn't bad. It was good, but Jesus is better. And the old covenant was never the permanent plan. It says in the word of God that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So even before the world was created, the plan was always that Jesus was going to come and through him and him alone would we have salvation. So yeah, I'm going to go over last week's outline briefly. I told the message last week, don't pull back, press in. We're going to look at the second part of that today. And last week was an exhortation to press into the kingdom of God. Because you know the Lord, press into the kingdom of God. We live in a time right now where we get so busy, so distracted, that even if we don't always intend to, that we find ourselves further away from the Lord. There are people that stopped coming because of COVID that have never been back. See, because you sow a thought and you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a destiny. Amen? And so when you start, you know, making choices, and we saw last week to forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches, we need to be in fellowship. So the exhortation last week was into the true source of rest, that's through Jesus and his work on the cross, and into more intimate fellowship with the Lord. We talked about the fact that we're as close to God as we want to be. If we're far from God, that's on us. That's not on God. If, God. if you're not hearing God's voice, it's not because he's not talking, because we're not listening. Amen? So it's, our, it's, uh, it's on us. And so we saw the boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies, that there's no more barriers between us and the Lord. 
There's no more barriers. The veil's been torn. We can enter into God's presence anywhere and any time. Uh, we have Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Next time you're going through a trial, just remember Jesus is praying for you. And then we saw five ways to respond to God's grace. Draw near. Draw near. Having been cleansed both inside and out, we should draw near. Draw near to him in a way the old covenant never could bring us. Hold fast to the Lord and believe his promises. Consider one another. Don't just focus on yourself, focus on others. Stay in fellowship with God's people and then exhort one another. So he told us the press in part and now comes the warning against pulling back. So God tells us to press in, to draw closer to him, to get closer to him, to have a more intimate fellowship with the Lord. That should be our daily desire. By the way, I just read a, a quote by Spurgeon. He said, any day that isn't spent in the Bible is a wasted day. Can I get an amen to that? If you have not been in the word today, you wasted a day. You're as close to God as you want to be. So here's the warning against pulling back. Grab your outline, uh, your hand in one when you got here. The consequences of willfully rejecting Jesus' perfect sacrifice at Calvary. Verse 26 is a very misunderstood verse. It's taken out of context. We'll talk about that in great detail. But the real thing it's talking about is choosing to go back to the old covenant or choosing to go back to a works-based salvation walking away from the cross and back to some other ideology or religion or ritual to take the place of the cross of Calvary. And again, it's so important that we recognize that if you turn away from the Lord, if you try to seek salvation in any other name, there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. I, taught, I wrote at the, uh, the end down there, if you walk away from Jesus and go back to works-based salvation, there is not a sacrifice that can save you. The wrath of God awaits all who reject his son. You're either a friend of God or an enemy of God. By the way, all of our sin gets paid for. All of our sin gets paid for. Either the Lord pays for it, paid for it on the cross and you accepted it, or you will pay for it by spending all eternity weeping and gnashing of teeth, suffering in hell. Oh, that was not seeker sensitive at all. I didn't know I was coming to that church. They're talking about hell. The word of God talks more about hell than it does heaven. And why do we talk about hell? Because we need to be warned. And I, my prayer is not one person in this room goes there. Amen. And it's better to hear about it than to spend eternity experiencing it. Point number two, remember how you stood for God before. See, there's a, they were being reminded that they had already gone through trials before. And we need to be reminded when we go through trials in life that we've been through trials before and God has shown up. Amen? We've been through difficulties. We've been through financial issues. We've been through marriage and rebellious children. And we've been through all kinds of issues in our life. Health issues. And you know what? We've seen God show up. And guess what? He's going to show up again because he's faithful. Amen? And then finally, those who truly are truly his will endure. Run to him, not from him. Uh, Raw Reese likes to say, if you're not abiding, you're not going. Because here's the reality. The reality is that those who truly know the Lord will not walk away from him. Amen? And those who, who do walk away from him, there's a debate as to whether they were saved and lost it. I don't believe that. But I do believe there are people that can be posers for a while. They can pretend to be Christians for a while. But again, the fact that you're a Christian is not seen in how you start, but how you finish. Amen? 
And we want to finish strong for Jesus. So let's begin there looking at don't pull back, but press in a warning against pulling back. We're going to start off with one of the most difficult verses in the Bible right off the shoot. Here we go. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay, now if we take that on face value, we don't pay attention to context. You know what that sounds like? Let me read it again. If you sin willfully, who sinned willfully this week? Raise your hand. Hands on up, you're prideful and lying and sinning willfully right now. Amen? We're all sinners, amen? We're all sinners saved by grace. So, so we've all sinned willfully after we received the knowledge of the truth. How many of you already had the knowledge of the truth before you sinned willfully this week? Uh-oh, and then look what it says. No longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Oh, no. So we've sinned willfully. We knew the truth. And if you read this without understanding the context, you would think that you're doomed. And there's a lot of people that will bring this verse up. And they'll love to show it to you. Look, pastor, let me show you this. And this is a verse along with Hebrews 6, 4, that they love to bring to you to show you that you can lose your salvation. And they turn it into a works-based faith. And it keeps you, you know, can you imagine if this were on its, on its face, without the context, if this were true, we'd all be done. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Every one of us would be done. And I know people that have read this verse and have walked away from the Lord. They're like, well, I, I willfully, I knew the truth and I willfully sinned, so I guess there's no sacrifice for me, so I'm just going to party till I go to hell. And you're like, dude, that's not what that verse means. Remember the text, is he speaking to Jewish believers who had come to know Jesus Christ, at least know about him, and had a period of time that they were fellowshipping with Christians, and now they were being drawn away to go back to the old system, to go back to the old covenant, to go back to the temple. So there's this temptation to having spent time fellowshipping with God's people to turn their back on the Lord and go back to the old covenant rituals, go back to a works-based salvation at this point, go back to the old sacrifices to leave the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and its redemptive work to go back to the blood of bulls and goats. And so the exhortation here in its context, if you've been reading through the you know, the entire letter with us is the simple fact that we cannot walk away from the Lord and expect to go to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? We cannot reject the cross of Calvary and seek salvation some other way and expect to go to heaven. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. Amen? So you may taste of it. You may have been exposed to it. I remember I had a guy in, in Santa Cruz who came up to me and he goes, you know, it's my time. I'm going to try Jesus for a while. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I tried Buddhism for five years. Then I tried Hinduism. And then I tried uh, new, the new age movement. Now I'm going to try Jesus. I go, bro, you can't try Jesus. You have to surrender your life to Jesus. It's not enough to believe there is a God. It's not enough to hang out with his people. You need to be born again, born from above. It's not enough to be religious. We must have a relationship with him. Again, at face value, this is desperate. When we read this, it's condemning and heartbreaking. 
And again, we've all sinned and we all fall short. The word sin, as we know, means to miss the mark. So we all know we're sinners because we're not compared to other believers, we're compared to Christ. Jesus doesn't grade on a curve, he grades at the cross, amen? He doesn't compare you to other believers and you can say, well, I'm better than these people, I may be worse than Billy Graham, but I'm better than Osama bin Laden, so maybe I'm okay. No, we're all compared to Christ and we all fall short. And by the way, we cannot have one, there cannot be one sin in heaven or you'd have earth part two. What does it cause death and pain and sorrow? Why are there thorns and thistles? Why is the world in the mess that it's in? Because it started with the sin in the garden. From that day forward, the, the world has been falling apart. Second, the, third, you know, the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, it's all winding down. It's all falling apart because of sin. So there can be no sin in heaven, but we're all sinners. So what do we do? Well, the only way we can go is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ who washed away our sin. The word willfully there in that verse is voluntarily of one's own accord, done with purpose and forethought. A willful choice to reject Jesus and to walk away. Now, we may differ on our thoughts on this. Some will say, well, you can walk with Jesus for 15 years and then willfully walk away. Here's what I would say. If you're truly born again, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you might have moments where you backslide, but you will never walk away. Amen? If you're truly saved, you will not walk away. Again, you may have moments where your walk with the Lord isn't where it should be, but you'll remain convicted. You'll recognize you still need Jesus and you won't abandon him. If you can abandon him, you've never known him. Amen. The word knowledge there, it says after we receive the knowledge of the truth, the word knowledge there is a knowledge that comes by experience. So here's what that means is you've been around it. You've experienced the truth. You don't just know about Jesus from a distance, but you've been around those who walk with the Lord. You've had some, some revelation of who Jesus is. And certainly that's what happened to the first century Christians who come out of Judaism they, you know, they'd seen Jesus, some of them, after he rose from the dead. They knew what the gospel taught. They heard from the apostles. They, saw, they, they hung out with people that were filled with the Holy Spirit, but not all of them were saved. And those who would walk away, even though they had an experience with the Lord or with his people, are those for whom there remains no longer a sacrifice for sin. I love the word truth there because, again, Jesus is the truth. Those who have been exposed to the truth that Jesus alone is the one and only sufficient sacrifice for all of our sins, the fulfillment of all old covenant sacrifices, the one and only source of redemption, they know all of that and then willingly reject and walk away from God's gracious gift of redemption through the cross and choose to go back to the old covenant or choose to go back to anything that this world has to offer. Now, in, in the context, it's talking about people going back to Judaism. But for all of us here today, maybe you've been exposed to the Lord your entire life. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you're newer to the church. Maybe you, you walked an aisle and you prayed a prayer. But you don't really know the Lord. You may know about him, but you don't know him. Because if you're willing to walk away, there's no way in the world you can know our Savior. Because to know him is to love him. Can I get an amen to that? And the more that we know him, the more we love him. And the more that we serve, the closer we get to him. And it's only those typically who are on the fringe, who've never fully committed their life to the Lord, who have an attitude of rebellion, who question God, who doubt God, who sometimes shake their fist at God. Can I tell you right now, you'd have to shoot me before I'd shake my fist at God. Amen? Or doubt God, or question God. Guys, we need to trust in the character of God. Amen? He's a loving, gracious, a merciful, heavenly father. 
His son loved us so much he'd rather die than live without us. How can we shake our fist at him? How can we doubt him? And sadly, there were those who would doubt the truth. Once a Jewish person had come to understand that Jesus is the real sacrifice for their sins, it was early first century church, they can't just turn their back on Jesus and go back to the old sacrificial system. There's no going back to the old system of sacrifices because they were meant to point to Jesus. Again, that's why there's no temple. I'm fully convinced God allowed the temple to be destroyed to show there was no need for a temple. There's no, there's no veil anymore. There's no Holy of Holies anymore because we enter into the Holy of Holies. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So there's no need for a building because we have a relationship with the Lord. So what would be the consequences for one who would turn his back on Jesus to return to the sacrificial system? says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. If Jesus' sacrifice is rejected, there is no other sacrifice that can cleanse you. I don't care how many good works you do, you will never qualify for heaven. I don't care how, how much faith you have in faith or how spiritual you think you are. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've done, not just made him savior, but Lord of your life, you do not have any promise or any hope of heaven. If you have given your life to Jesus, it's not a hope so, it's a no so. Holy Spirit's come to live inside of you. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And you know, no matter what goes on in this world, you know that when you close your eyes on earth, you're gonna open them up in glory. If you're here with a hope so today, I pray you leave here with a no so, because it's not a hope so, it's a no so if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, amen? Sadly, Someone willfully rejects Jesus' perfect sacrifice at Calvary, there can be no sacrifice for their sins. When one deliberately rejects the only atonement for his sin, it is as if a man should reject the only medicine that can heal him. You know, if you have cancer and there's one medicine that can heal you and it's offered to you, and in your arrogance and self-righteousness, you say, I don't need that, I can do it on my own, that person dies. It's as if you, you are out in the middle of the ocean and the one boat comes by to pull you out before you drown and you consciously make a decision, I don't need that boat, I can swim in myself, guess what, you're gonna drown. And if you're here today and you, you're here because your parents drug you to church or because it's a tradition you've always had or you're just, you know, whatever the reason is that you're here and you've got a hard heart and a rebellious heart, I pray that God does whatever is necessary to bring you to your knees so you'll be humble, broken, and desperate and start looking up and get your eyes back on Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And there's so much pride and bitterness in those who have rejected our Savior. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And when you don't have the Lord, it's unloving, it's unkind, it's not gracious. There is no self-control. It's out of control. Guys, we need Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Jesus is the only way. So just what awaits those who reject the atoning work of the cross? Go verse 27. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Boy, that is not a seeker-sensitive verse one bit. Amen? Here's what it says. If there's no sacrifice, then there should be a fearful expectation of judgment. Fearful. 
Now, we don't need to fear God. I mean, we fear God as we reverence him, but we don't walk in fear. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But if you don't know Jesus, you should have fear. Amen. You should be afraid. You should be concerned about standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords if you have not given your life to him. Amen. Boy, this doesn't sound like, I just, I brought a friend today. I had no idea. Oh my goodness. Uh, He's wearing a t-shirt and preaching hell. I don't know what happened. What in the world's going on? Look, one who rejects the cross is not good enough. Or one who turns from a personal relationship with Jesus to rituals and traditions, or as the world loves to say today, science in their arrogance. Proclaiming to be wise, they become as fools. Amen? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There's nothing more arrogant. There's nothing more tragic. And I'll tell you what else. There's no peace in that life. The only way you can have peace is if you know the Prince of Peace. Anything short of that, your life is a mess. You try to fill it with drugs and alcohol and money and fame and power and relationships and toys and hobbies and whatever else you seek after and your flesh will never be satisfied. It only can come from a right relationship with the Lord. Well, as long as you're on a path, you know, any path, just be sincere in your path. You know, they all just lead to heaven. Just as long as you, you, you're spiritual, just as long as you believe in something, as long as you have faith. You know, faith in faith is a waste of time. We don't have faith in faith. We don't have faith in Buddha. We don't have faith in Krishna. We don't have faith in good works. We don't have faith in any of that other. We don't have faith in science because the science that we believe in is Jesus. And the Bible tells us that he is omni. Our God is omni-science, which means all-knowing. Amen. And we don't believe in spite of the evidence that would make us superstitious and foolish. But that's not the case. Our faith is in Christ alone. Amen? It's not faith in faith. It's faith in Christ. Now notice it says, there's a fearful expectation of judgment. The word judgment there is separating. A sentence of condemnation and punishment. There's a sentence awaiting all who reject the cross. Now before they're sent to an eternity in hell, separated from Almighty God, well, they will have a memory of this life and all the times they rejected Jesus. And there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and there is no, uh, no way of redemption from there. It's too late. The sad part is too, that the people, again, that end up going to hell have had an opportunity to know Jesus. You have to run over the cross of Christ to get there. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. But there's a fiery judgment coming, and it will not be escaped. Now, I want you all to know this, too. Before they get, the, get cast into hell, do you know the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Buddha bowing to Jesus. Joseph Smith in the Mormon church bowing to Jesus. Adolf Hitler bowing to Jesus. Every ungodly person who's ever lived will bow to Jesus. Amen? And they will recognize that they have missed him. Now look, we should take no solace in this at all. Those of us who know the Lord. And there are times, I, and I, you know, I'll be transparent with you. There are times when you've met some really evil, wicked people that have, you know, attitudes and, and the way they treat people and the way they talk and their arrogance. And in your mind, maybe they've never said out loud, hell's going to be hot for that guy. <laughs> Anybody ever thought that besides me? Amen. But here's the reality. Every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Our heart should be to love them, to reach out to them, 
to minister to them, to seek to introduce them to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because you know what? There before the grace of God goes every one of us. Amen? We've all been saved by grace. And we should not delight in the fact that even the most wicked people and evil people among us would spend eternity in hell. It should break our hearts. The word fiery there is pure. It's a righteous judgment. It is the wrath of God. You've heard me define the wrath of God as a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and will of God. You know, when we have wrath, we think of flying off the handle. We think of being out of control. The wrath of God is a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and the will of God. When we walk away from the Lord, when we, when we reject the redemptive work at the, at the cross, when we refuse to, to accept the free gift of salvation that is offered to us, the wrath of God then responds to the fact that there is sin that has not been paid for. And it is a holy and consistent reaction. The word there, the fiery expectation of judgment and fiery indignation. There's a fervor of spirit and a punitive zeal. There's a day coming when those who don't know the Lord will stand before him with a holy fear. See, the cross is either the place of redemption or the place of judgment. For us, when we look to the cross, we're blessed. We realize the greatest act of love in all of human history took place there. And that's because of the cross of Calvary that I'm no longer dead in my trespasses and sins. And I've been made a new creation in Christ and I have the promise of heaven. So when I see the cross, I rejoice. When the world sees the cross, those who don't know him, they don't, some of them to some degree recognize it as a place of judgment. And that's why they'll spend a million dollars in legal fees trying to get a cross taken down off a hill that they see when they drive home from work. Why? Because the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. It breaks, it brings people to a place of recognizing that there is judgment for sin and they don't want to see it. They want to ignore it. And the reality is you cannot ignore Jesus. It says, we'll devour his adversaries. The word devour there is to consume. You reject the cross and you're an adversary. Guys, we're either friends of God or enemies of God. There's nothing in between. So are you a friend of God this morning or are you an enemy of God this morning? Do you have intimate relationship and fellowship with God? Are you an adversary at battle and waging war with God? Here's the good news. If you're waging war with him, you can repent and be a friend of God before you leave here today. Amen? Amen. So if you're an enemy of God, it's a choice that you've made. He desires that we all have intimate fellowship with him. What have you done with God's son? What have you done with God's son? Who is Jesus to you? A religious figure, a good teacher, a spiritual man, or as they used to tell me in Santa Cruz, oh, he was the greatest of all the gurus. He had the best of all the auras. Oh, stop it. Guys, to even compare him to a guru is the biggest bunch of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. Amen? Guys, Jesus Christ, he is almighty God. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the creator of all things. He always has been and always will be. And he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Guys, what have you done with God's son? Because guys, all the stuff we think is important right now on judgment day, none of it will matter. Look, we do our jobs as unto the Lord. We should be the best workers in the building. But you know what? All the work, I've been selling advertising for 35 years, 33 of my current company. All the ads I've sold in my life will be nothing but dirt. Amen? 
It's a pile of dirt that won't matter in eternity. The money you have in your 401k, you know, how athletic you were, all the hobbies, all the, all the awards you have hanging on your wall in your office, none of that will mean anything on judgment day. The only thing that will matter is what have you done with God's son? Amen. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing less, Amen. You can be certain of God's righteous judgment upon you. You can wait in fearful expectation of God's uh, wrath. You know, so how serious is it? If you turn your back on the cross, you can be certain the judgment's coming. You can wait in fearful expectation of God's righteous wrath and punitive zeal, which will consume you as an enemy of God. Or you can lay your your life down before him at the foot of the cross and allow him to stand in your place. See, someone's gonna die for your sin, Someone's going to know torment because of your sin. Someone's going to know separation from the God, the father, because of your sin. It's either going to be Jesus on the cross or it's going to be you for all eternity. Choose today whom you will serve. Amen. And what have you done with God's son? Boy, it's gotten awful quiet in this room. Are you on God's side? Or you can wait with, not with fearful expectation, but joyful anticipation. So you either have fearful expectation or joyful anticipation. Christians, Christians die well. Death has no sting. We close our eyes on earth. We open them up in glory. And heaven is better because Jesus is there. Amen? Yes. But if you don't know the Lord, you're trying to hang on to this life with everything. You try to make yourself look younger to make yourself think you're going to be here longer. It doesn't help. Amen? <laughs> all the stuff we try to do to hang on to this temporary life, it's all passing away. What have you done with God's son is all that matters. Are you on God's side? We want God to bless America. We need America to bless God. You want God to bless you. You need to bless God. You want to just serve God. Lay down your life for him. That's two verses in. How are we doing? Verse 28. Look what it says here. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. See, in the old covenant, here's what would happen. The law of Moses was clear. And this is really pertaining to the worship of the true and living God. And if somebody was off worshiping Baal, for example, or worshiping a false god of this world, they would bring him in front of the, the judge, in front of the, the priest, and they would say, we have two witnesses that he, that he worshiped Baal. You know what they did? They took him out and threw rocks at him until they died. So how does God feel about worshiping false gods? He hates it. You know why he hates it? Because he knows it's a tool of Satan to keep you away from the true and living God. Amen? Amen. And when he brings judgment upon those who reject God and worship false gods. It's so that others will understand that worshiping false gods have heavy consequences. Amen. Amen. So it may not be Baal, but it may be, again, maybe money, maybe your career. It may be relationships. It may be anything else. Anything we put before God is a false idol. And that includes your children. Look, I love my children so much, I can hardly stand it. I called my daughter on her 33rd birthday, and I was telling her about the day she was born, and I was a weeping mess on the phone. I just love my kids so much, I can hardly stand it. And then it just doubles when you have grandkids. Can I get any amen of that? It just double. You just love your grandkids so much, you can hardly see straight, okay? And so as much as I love them, I love Jesus more. Amen? And loving Jesus more, you know what it does? It makes you a better husband, makes you a better wife, makes you a better worker, makes you a better dad, a better grandfather, a better neighbor, a better man, a better woman. Can I get an amen to that? 
When you put Jesus first, it changes everything about you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When you wake up in the morning with a priority to honor God today, the rest of the stuff will take care of itself because you'll be honoring God in how hard you work. You'll be honoring God in the way you treat your wife. You'll be honoring God in how you, how you deal with traffic. You'll be honoring God when you interact with people throughout the day. And when you honor God, God will be glorified. So anyone who rejected Moses dies without mercy. You receive what you deserve. You know, mercy is being given something, not being given what you do deserve. Mercy is you deserve judgment and you're not given judgment. He said there was no mercy if two or three witnesses came just with the law of Moses showing that someone was out worshiping a false God, they would stone them to death on the spot because they wanted it to stop and not spread amongst God's people. Now, watch this though. Of how much worse, verse 29, the punishment do you suppose will be brought, be thought worthy who has trampled on the son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Wow. He says, look, if in the old covenant, somebody worshiping a false God or, you know, doing things, you know, blaspheming the name of the Lord, if it was immediate judgment under the law of Moses, what kind of judgment do you think is coming in the new covenant when we have the Holy Spirit convicting us? We have the completed work on the cross of Calvary. We have the word of God. We've been drawn into the Lord. If judgment is heavy then, how much more heavy will judgment be under the fact and the truth of the new covenant? In Deuteronomy, it says, at the mouth of two or three witnesses shall by he who's worthy of death be put to death. See, in the old covenant, they were put to death. And again, it was an immediate righteous judgment. The judgment that comes in the new covenant is an eternal judgment. It's in a judgment that never ends. Who was trampled, it says, the son of God underfoot. The word, it literally means to treat with rudeness and insulting neglect. I am so gripped by how this name of our savior is used in our country today. Can I get an amen to that? It's used far more, I don't have any proof of this, but I believe it's used far more as a curse word than as in adoration or worship. People curse his name, they mock his name, and they don't think twice about it. And the reality is it's a seared over conscience. It's a hardened heart. It's trampled down the son of God underfoot to treat with rudeness, pull, pull him from his throne and trample upon him. It speaks of the utmost scorn and neglect to value him by devaluing what he did, denying the work of the cross. I had the conversation this week. I have them all the time. Oh, you believe in the big spaghetti monster up in the sky? Are you one of those superstitious idiots? I believe in science. So do I. God created everything. Amen? I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God said it and it happened. Bang. Can I get an amen? God's the creator of all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And, and you're putting your faith in anything but God and in your arrogance and your self-righteousness. There's not an atheist on this planet that's not arrogant, self-righteous, and prideful because you have to be to think that you know better than God. Amen? Amen? I had a sticker in my office that said National Atheist Day, April 1st. People got upset. And underneath, it, and underneath it, it said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Amen? Now look, we love atheists and so does the Lord. He died on the cross for them. And I truly believe they're not really atheists. They just don't want to surrender their life. You know why people believe in evolution? Because they don't have to believe in creation. Because if there's a creation, there's a creator and they're accountable. 
If they could just believe, if they didn't have to believe in, you know, that there's no accountability, they wouldn't have a problem. You know, they'd go get by not having evolution. But the fact that there's a creator makes you accountable. And I'll tell you, there's no bigger fairy tale in the world than evolution. What a joke that is. And it's being taught in our schools. Probably a good time to pull all our kids out of school. Can I get an amen? So ridiculous. Be salt and light if you go to public school. We need you there. Amen? It says they insulted the spirit of grace. We insult the Holy Spirit who confers favor and grace upon us, empowers us to love and serve and walk in power and holiness when we reject God's free gift of grace. We're insulting the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit draws everyone unto salvation. It's offered universally, but it's accepted individually. And when you reject it, when you reject what the Holy Spirit is drawing you unto, we're insulting God. We're insulting the Holy Spirit. We're acting like, again, the same thing that got Satan cast out of heaven when we think we know better than God. When someone refuses to repent or seeks to get to God his own way, he tramples on Jesus. He counts his blood as common. He insults the Holy Spirit. He rejects God's grace. And what awaits such a person, one who rejects Jesus' perfect sacrifice on Calvary? Look at verse 30. Look what it says. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. Now, this is not the context we think of this verse. It's also in Romans, and there is a context where it speaks of, we're not to repay, we're to let God be the one who brings judgment. We don't go out and and make judgment, we allow God to do that. You know what? God will do a much better job defending you than you ever do defending yourself anyway. Amen? Let God defend you, let God be the one who makes the stand for you. But in this case, he is saying vengeance to those who reject the cross, to those who trample the Son of God underfoot, who count the blood of covenant by which was sanctified a common thing and insult the Holy Spirit. Guys, it is a, look at what it says in verse 31. It says, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is a fearful thing to be an enemy of God. It is a fearful thing to be self-righteous and arrogant and think you don't need God. It is a fearful thing to curse the name of God. It is a fearful thing to shake your fists at God. And he's a God of love and grace and mercy who suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And there's a day coming when what we've done with God's son will determine our eternity. Amen? And it's so important that we not fall into the trap of in any way, shape, or form, rejecting what our Savior has done. We will all either be an object of his grace or an object of his wrath. Now, let me just tell you, I already know there's some uncomfortable people in the room right now who just think, well, our God's a God of love and grace and mercy, and he would never, he would never do that. He is a God of love and grace and mercy, and he's the definition of love. Amen? Amen. Now, that being said, he's also a righteous God. And a righteous God must judge crime, must judge sin, must. Because if he doesn't judge it, he's not righteous. Amen. Amen. Now, I just don't think it's fair that some people go to hell. Here's the reality. It's not fair that anybody goes to heaven because none of us deserve it. Amen. Amen. We all deserve hellfire. We're all sinners in desperate need of a savior. And there's none righteous, no, not one. And you might think you're a good man or a good woman. You're not because there aren't any. Amen. Because the only way you think you're good is if you compare yourself to someone else. And we can always find someone worse than us. But again, God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. And you may think you're good. Now compare yourself to Jesus. How you doing? (laughs) Not too good. Amen. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And so, 
I had a lady in our church in Santa Cruz. She finally left our church. She would come up every week. I kid you not, for two years. Pastor Dave, you need to talk only about the love of God. Don't talk about judgment. I don't like that. It's in the Bible. We teach the whole Bible. Can I get an amen? amen? We don't teach a half God. Well, you know, everybody's just going to go to heaven. Now, look, we might all want that, but it cannot heaven happen because, again, one sin in heaven is earth part two. It can't happen that way. See, we all deserve hellfire. We were all headed there. And what it, it's not that we were all so good and loving and then God just snatched us away and, and poured his wrath on us. No, we were all headed to hell and then Jesus intervened and died on the cross and gave us a pathway to heaven. Amen? And we can go that direction. We can follow the Lord or we can continue down the path that we were born on, that we've been living on, that we've pursued our whole lives and reject the Lord. And then don't be surprised when the thing that you ask for is the thing that you're given. See, everybody who goes to hell is gonna go because they want to. What I mean by that is their actions and their choices are sending them to a place of destruction. Oh my goodness, this is heavy this morning. The Lord will judge his people. That's what it says there. The Lord will judge his people. These are the people that were called by his name. In this context, it was the Jews potentially rejecting Christ to return to the old covenant. He will judge those called by his name who rejected the cross and have gone another way. See, heritage won't save you. God has no grandchildren. Religious affiliation won't save you. It's not about being a part of a church. Church attendance won't save you. The number of faithful Christians in your family uh, wearing a cross necklace or having a baptismal certificate, all those things are fine, but none of those will save you apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Amen? Nothing else will save you. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. None of it will save you, none of it will save you or deliver you from the righteous judgment. We need to come humble and broken before the Lord. Fear not, it says in Matthew 10, fear not him who, which can kill your body, but the one who is able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a loving God. Let me say this. Sin is a big deal. Amen? Amen. And as Christians, if we're not careful, we be, become desensitized to sin. And we are called to be holy for he is holy. And I'm not talking about a workspace salvation, but if, we, if you're walking in the center of God's will, you're going to love God and hate sin. Not be okay with God and make excuses for sin. Amen? Amen. And there's too much even in the church today where we accept certain ungodly behavior as just fine. Sin is such a big deal that Jesus had to go to the cross. Amen? Amen. And so we must not take sin lightly. We must not take it for granted. We must not hold on to Agag, you know, the king of the flesh, the one sin that we continue to make an excuse for. Well, I'm doing better over here. Look, we're not saved by good works, we're saved by grace, but we need to come to a place where we love God enough that we hate all of our sin. Amen? All of it. Make no excuses for it. Lord, please help me not to walk in that anymore. Amen? We need to come broken and repentant before the Lord. The false gospel is to beg and cajole people to come to Jesus with promises of an earthly blessing. Oh, just come to Jesus, he'll give you everything you ever wanted. You know that promotion you've been wanting? You come to Jesus, he'll give it to you. You want to be married? 
You give your life to Jesus, rico suave, but you'll meet him the next day, right? If you come to Jesus, you're probably going to win the lottery, especially if you tithe They throw a seed offering in our, in, our, in our offering. And people have this way of trying to, you know, urge people and beg people to come to Jesus. If someone has to beg you to get you to come to Jesus, you don't get it. Because once you recognize you're a sinner, you're not having to need people to beg you to come to Jesus. You're on your face before Almighty God begging him to forgive you. Amen? You shouldn't have to be conjoled and, oh, and I'm so sick of all these things I get in the mail. I, you know, they know you're a senior pastor and I get all this stuff in email and text and on Facebook. Want to grow your church by 300%? Here's, here's 10 messages you can teach to, to grow your church. And it's all the biggest bunch of nonsense. We might as well, be, might as well make it the Elks Club. Amen? <laughs> Throw the horns on the wall, call it the Elks Club, because they ain't teaching the Bible there. Amen? We need to teach the whole counsel of God. And here's the reality. Guys, we're not going to, you know, let's beg people. Let's conjole people to pray the sinner's prayer. Because if you pray the sinner's prayer, there's no true heart of repentance. It's just like yelling down a well. We don't make God a holy Santa Claus in the sky. We don't try to cajole people to come to Jesus because he'll give you stuff. As if we're doing God a grand favor. Oh, Jesus needs you. He doesn't need you one bit. Can I get an amen to that? He doesn't need me one bit. I need him. You need him. Can I get an amen to that? He doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. And he loves us. And he'd rather die than live without us. But he doesn't need us. We need him came here with my friends. I just thought, I'm going to I'm gonna go, go to church and have some little brunch afterward. And now I'm being told I'm a sinful, vile, wicked person. I'm going to burn in hell for all eternity. And I'm facing righteous judgment if I don't repent. That's the best message you could ever hear. Amen. Amen. We were all lost, blind, and dead in our sins. Every one of us headed for eternal judgment where the flame will never be extinguished, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. We all deserve to go there. Where the weight of the unrepentant sin takes us, where we were all headed without Jesus. This breaks my heart. It should break all of ours. How many people died in the last 24 hours and went to hell and are now spending all eternity there? How much sin was committed in the last 24 hours? How many people were murdered? How many women were raped? How many children were harmed? How many unborn babies were murdered? How many lies were told? How many tempers were lost? How many uh, sped on the way to church this morning? How many sins have taken place in the last 24 hours? And how many people have died and been lost for all eternity? See, every believer this side of heaven, again, should be a burden for every unbeliever this side of hell. We should take sin seriously. The Jewish Christians were not doing God a favor by staying. And you and I are not cutting God a break by coming to him. We're, we were lost. We were dead. We were hopeless and helpless. We were deserving a righteous judgment. And he delivered us. We owe him everything. Amen? If you truly owe him everything, if you truly recognize that what we have is the antidote to the death serum, the cure for the cancer of sin, if you truly believe that, you won't keep it to yourself. The most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven all by ourselves. Lord, help us. Sin is a big deal. It comes with a heavy price. We come not demanding, but blessed and broken and blown away that he would deliver us. 
He paid the debt we couldn't pay. By grace, he paid it. If we reject his righteous judgment, will come. Okay, that was point number one. How's everybody doing? The consequences of willfully rejecting Jesus' sacrifice at the cross, choosing to go back to the old sacrificial system, walking away from God's grace. The wrath of God awakes all who reject his son. Point number two, remember how you stood for God before. Look at verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. He reminds them that they had all endured for Christ's sake. They had suffered for Jesus, been rejected by the Jewish community, perhaps even counted as dead by family members. They had gone through great trials because they'd made a stand for the Lord. They had faced opposition because they'd made a stand for the Lord. They'd gone through tribulation because they made a stand for the Lord. And it came after they knew the truth. Once they knew who Jesus was, that they faced some difficulty. You endured great struggle with suffering. Trials, suffering are not new, nor are they foreign in the life of the Christian. Show me someone in the Bible, use mightily, I will show you someone who suffered greatly. Amen? Again, that's not secret sensitive either. People used mightily in scripture have been willing to suffer greatly for the cause of Christ because they recognize this is but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. See, no suffering is wasted. Every trial we go through is an opportunity to tell somebody else about Jesus, to be an example to somebody else that in the midst of the trial, we can have joy because our joy is not based on our circumstances. Our joy is based on the fact that we are filled with the spirit of living God and we have a relationship with him. In the world, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. They had endured through persecution before. You stayed faithful then, stay faithful now. How many of you guys have gone through trials and difficulty in your life and your walk with Jesus? You stayed faithful then, stay faithful now. Can I get an amen to that? God's always been faithful. Continue to trust him. How much more should we do it now that we've matured in our faith? You know, people say, you know, early Christians, they're all fired up. Look at that, he's a new believer. He's just telling everybody. He's so excited about God, he just can't stop it. He's, just, he's, just, he's telling everybody. He's telling the waitress at the thing and he's telling everybody's coworkers. He's talking to all his parents and he drives by people at the stoplight and he's screaming out the door about Jesus. Oh, he'll get mature and settle down. I pray we never settle down from that. I pray that we get more excited about Jesus the more we get to know him. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Instead of dialing it down and being quiet because oh, I'm, I'm very spiritually mature now so I'd never share my faith with anyone. I've read the whole Bible, so I already know it, so I don't need to read it anymore. That's tragic. You've endured great struggle with sufferings. Now it says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. The word reproach there, just as Jesus suffered reproach for the cause of God from his enemies, so too will those who follow him. The Bible says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. See, if you're persecuted for your faith, you're in good company. The reality is we really don't know fully what it means to be persecuted for our faith. You might have lost a job and that's, you know, that's heavy. Uh, You might have some people, neighbors and family members don't talk to you anymore and and that can be a bummer. But here's the reality. It's nothing compared. None of us have been throwing any lion's den that I know of. 
None of us have been fed to lions or tortured or beaten in jail or any of those things. And you know what? And they remained faithful in the midst of that because they had such an eternal perspective. May we not be so comfortable that we lose sight of eternity. Amen? Notice it says there are tribulations. The word is afflictions. It means being pressed together, being pressured, being oppressed. It says that you became companions, not only stood for God, but with his people. Doesn't it it break your heart when you even read something about a Christian in a faraway land that's, you know, enduring torture? When you hear about it, you don't even know them, but it breaks your heart because that's your family. Amen? And your heart grieves and it breaks for them and you pray for them. And you know what? When you are companions with the people of God, you're going to endure suffering. If you're a companion with the world, the world will approve of your behavior. Notice what it says there in verse 34. For you had compassion on me in my chains. Now, this is one of the many reasons why I think Paul wrote this book. Because Apostle Paul spent a lot of time in chains. Amen? And notice what it says here. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. He said, you joyfully were willing to let all your stuff be taken away because you knew the promise you had in heaven. You were joyfully willing to walk away from a good job to follow Jesus and go serve the Lord. You were joyfully willing to set aside all these things that seemed to matter from the world's perspective, get away with all that comfort and those things that you think you needed so you could Focus more on serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords and reaching out to a lost and a dying world. You did it joyfully because you recognize that it's more important than anything this world has to offer. You stood for God. You stood with God's people. You had compassion on those and you joyfully accepted the loss of that which was temporary. You know, it's famous quote, a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Giving up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Notice it says there, you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. You're able to stand in the midst of all kinds of persecution because you have an eternal perspective. If we lose everything on this earth, we've lost nothing. But if we go to eternity without the Lord, we've lost everything. Too many so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. It says, lay up your treasures upon earth. This is in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. Where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. But lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust do corrupt and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stood for him before you could stand for him again. It's a warning against pulling back. It's a warning against allowing the circumstances of life to make you mad at God. Guys, if we're mad at God, we just don't get it. Does the Lord love you more than you will ever understand? What's the answer? He loved, if, you know, if, if God had a wallet, your picture be in it, okay? If you had a fridge, your picture would be on it. He loves you. You are his treasured possession. So why would we be mad at God when things in this life aren't going the way we want them to? See, we need to recognize, again, that the law is not a fence to keep us out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff. See, God's not keeping us from what's good for us. He's keeping us from what will harm us. And that might be the guy you were dating or might be the, the promotion you wanted. It might be anything else in this world that you wanted so desperately and God kept you from it. And we get to have and we're going to find out God knows what he's doing and we can trust him, amen? And I encourage us to trust him even when we don't understand. Final point, those who are truly his will endure. Look at verse 35. 
Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which was, has great reward. For you have no need, you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Don't throw aside, don't cast away your confidence. So confidence, the word there is boldness. That's what it literally means. So don't cast away your boldness. Don't cast away your willingness to stand for the things of God. Don't let the world shout you down. Don't let the government restrict you from doing what God's called you to do. We don't fear men. We fear God. We, don't know, we, we honor the law until they tell us to disobey God. Then we, we honor God. We obey God rather than man. Can I get an amen? And don't cast aside your boldness. Don't cast aside your confidence because you're being shouted down by a bunch of people that all need Jesus. Pray for them. Stand for the truth. I love the apostles. Apostle Paul can't wait to, after about a thousand years of Jesus, I'm going to go find Paul and have lunch with him up in heaven. Because that brother, everywhere he went, he started a revival or a riot. And every opportunity, he's chained up, he's witnessing to the guards. They're dragging him away in front of a crowd that all wants him dead. He gets up on a platform, he starts preaching Jesus to the people that are trying to kill him. You got, you know, you can't stop that guy. You know what a fanatic is? You can't change his mind, he won't change the subject. Can I get an amen to that? And that's the apostle Paul. And we need to have that confidence and that boldness. Now, don't be self-righteous. Don't be arrogant. Don't look down on people or one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But we should be able to speak with boldness and confidence the truth because we know the truth because we have a relationship with the truth because Jesus is the truth. Amen? And we don't have to cower. Oh, he's got five PhDs. Piled higher and deeper. I'm not impressed. The word of God is the truth. Amen? And if you have the word of God, you can stand against anybody because the Holy Spirit will speak through you. Have boldness, have confidence. Notice what else it says there in verse 36. Have, you, need, uh, you are in need of endurance. Christianity is not a sprint. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it's not just how we do today. It's how we do for a lifetime. And it's not how we start, but it's how we finish. It's easy to be excited for God for a short amount of time. And then, you know, when the trials still keep coming and you thought, well, I gave my life to Jesus. I thought all the trials would go away. And then you walk away. But somebody who truly knows the Lord, their faith will only get stronger the years that go by. I love hanging out with people that are walking with the Lord a long time because they've been through the trials of life and they've seen God show up. And their faith is stronger and stronger every difficulty that they go through in this life. We're gonna need endurance. We need to be faithful and stay strong in our confidence. And again, the Christian walk is not a sprint, but a marathon. Last few verses. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. There it is. This is where I got the drawback. Don't pull back. It's from this verse. He said, look, those who endure, God's going to bless. But those who draw back, those who in fear of man pull away, those who are more worried about the, what the World Health Organization or the CDC has to say than what the Word of God has to say. Those who are more worried about what the political environment is than what the Word of God has to say. Guys, the Lord knew we were going to be here for such a time as this. And God bless you guys that we kept our church open and you kept coming. Can I get an amen to that? Because guys, in this world we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer for we have overcome the world. And again... We need to have endurance. Count all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, for trials reduce patience and perfecting of your faith. 
You may receive the promise. It says at the end that you may receive the promise in the previous verse, placing their focus back on the eternal. When you wake up every morning in light of eternity, it gives you the proper perspective. Don't go back to the old covenant. The just shall live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not faith in faith, but it's faith in Christ. It's faith in his promises. It's faith in his word. And you can't have faith in something you don't read. Amen? What's the theme verse for Calvary Chapel, Conejo Valley? Faith comes by hearing and? Hearing by the word of God. And that's our theme verse because that's how we grow in faith. Your faith is as strong as you want it to be. If you want more faith, spend more time in God's word. But if anyone draws back, there's no pleasure. The word draw back means to let down, to lower, withdraw, or to shrink. God takes no pleasure in those who draw back and walk away in the midst of difficulty. Run to him, not from him. Before I look at this last verse, let me say this. We need not to be afraid in love and kindness to offend a world that needs to be offended. Amen? Amen? Well, I just want to offend anybody. If I'm going to hell without Jesus, feel free to offend me. Can I get an amen? If I'm driving off a cliff and I'm about to face destruction, feel free to offend me and drag me out of it. Amen? And the reality is I think we've, we've listened to the world and it starts picking on you and calling you names and calling you a bigot and saying you're homophobic and saying you're xenophobic and saying all this to shout you down so you'll shut up and be afraid to stand up for the truth. Do not let the world shout you down. Don't let the world take away your boldness, your confidence, or to keep you from enduring till the end. Guys, we need to make a stand for the Lord because I promise you when we do, there will be people that hear the truth that will be born again and it will all be worth it. Amen? Aren't you glad somebody loved you enough to tell you the truth? Let's not keep it to ourselves. Last verse. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Here's what he's basically, he's encouraging them. Hey, you know what? That's not us that's gonna walk away. It's not us. There are people that will do it, but it's not us. We're not gonna go back to destruction because we know who Jesus is. And even if they threaten my life, I'm not walking away from Jesus. And he's encouraging them and letting them know that's not us. But we need to be reminded daily that it's worth laying down your life for Jesus. Can I get an amen? It's worth being bold. It's worth enduring. It's worth going through the trials because God is with you and God is for you. And he has a great plan. He wants you to have life and life more abundant. But he also promised that in this world, you'll have tribulation. So when the tribulation comes, let's have him use it for his kingdom and for his glory. It ends with these confident words of encouragement to these first century Jews in the midst of great temptation. Okay, now that I've preached the church down to a manageable size... Don't pull back, press in. It's a warning against pulling back. The consequences of willfully rejecting Jesus' perfect sacrifice at Calvary. Everyone who goes to hell has to run over the cross of Calvary to get there. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He wants you to fall for the lies of the world that try to tell you that the Bible's not true or try to get you to reject the word of God. And you know, it's so sad because those are the very people that are tools of the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants you dead. He wants you in pain. He wants you in torment. He wants your marriage destroyed. He wants your family torn apart. And Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundant. See, the real joy doesn't come from accumulating stuff, but having faith in the true and the living God. God. 
The consequences of willful rejecting Jesus, perfect sacrifice, the wrath of God awaits all who reject his son. Remember how you stood before. Just remember all the times God has shown up in the past. And may that give you greater faith to continue to make stands for God in the future. Amen? Just remember how he's always been faithful. And he will continue to be faithful. And then finally, those who are truly his will endure. If you're truly saved, you might have moments where you backslide. You might have moments where your walk with the Lord isn't where it should be. But because the Holy Spirit lives within you and he convicts you, he's always going to draw you back. And if you truly know the Lord, you'll come back. Can I get an amen to that? If you really have a relationship with him, you won't leave him or forsake him. I mean, he won't leave you. So he's going to continue to draw you back into himself and praise God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And I know for many, this was a heavy message this morning. But Lord, that's why we teach the whole counsel of God, because it's all important. And Lord, I pray if there's any, even one person here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here today and, and you don't know for sure that when you close your eyes on earth, you're going to open them up in heaven. And I'm not going to beg you and bribe you to give your life to Jesus. But if you recognize you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. If you want to know for sure that you have the promise of eternal life, if you want to invite the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in your life, to lay down your life, to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If that's your desire, so I want you to raise your hand. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. We need to do business with Jesus, some people here. It's an opportunity now to confess him openly. I'm not asking you to join a church, but just raise your hand as a public confession so I can pray with you. Anybody at all, you want to know for sure you're going to heaven. Today's the day of salvation. Don't leave here without him. Don't let the enemy lie to you. God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless you, young man. Anybody else? Love that you're standing for the Lord. God bless you. Anybody else? Lord, I thank you for this young man who's standing. And Lord, I pray for him, Lord, as he is making a public profession of his need for you. Lord, we're all sinners in need of a savior. And I thank you that he is responding today. And Lord, I just pray that he would pray this out loud with me right now or just pray it out loud, bro. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Forgive me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.